Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to episode 41. I'm your host, Gary Levitt, and this week we talk to stand-up comedian and author of three illustrated books, Mr. Doogie Horner. Now, Doogie was on America's Got Talent a few years ago and had one of the more funny experiences that I've seen on the show. We're going to talk about that. And, of course, we talk about relationships, one of our favorite topics here. But uh, before we get into the episode, let me play you a little clip of that America's Got Talent so you see what we're talking about and uh, how fast the crowd hated him and how he used his uh, instinct and sense of humor to quickly win them over. So let's have a listen to how fast this all happened. 90 seconds with Doogie Horner on America's Got Talent. I don't trust pregnant people. I feel like they're hiding something. Oh, 
And that's why you have to use your instinct and drop your material sometimes when the crowd hates you doing stand-up comedy. All right, so I uh, hope you enjoy this conversation with me, Matt Kaplan, and Doogie Horner. All right. First of all, I stumbled on your America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. You were a sem- semi-finalist. Yeah. Very, very interesting, odd performances. I want to talk to you about the yeah. America's Got Talent experience. Mm-hmm. He comes out, he has 90 seconds to win the crowd, and they're just booing you right away. Yeah, you think 90 seconds is short, but like they started booing me about maybe like 15 seconds in, 20 seconds in. I told a joke or maybe two, and they started booing me. I feel like the judges set you up for failure before you even started. No, I mean, they were fair with me. They were like, it was the, that's the kind of show where like, if they like you, they, they'll cheer. And if they don't like you, they'll boo. Like that's the point. Of, and they didn't like me. And also my set was at the end of the night. So when they actually taped it, mm-hmm. the taping is, is, is long. And I think by the time I went up, I was the second to last person of the whole night. Mm-hmm. And they actually almost didn't fit me in. And I think, you know, everybody had been there for six hours. And Six hours they were in the audience? I think so, yeah. Wow. If you count, like, from when, like, they load you in. You know, yeah. they load you in and you're there for a little bit. And then you're probably there for two hours before they even start the show. And then it's like a four-hour show. And No one could be entertaining on the sixth hour. I think some people are. Some people they, they cheered for. Because I, uh-huh. I was, we were... I think I was there for 10 hours because you load in in the morning and then you're there all day. And then I was up last. And What's there to load in? You're just a stand-up. Well, but I mean, everybody's got to load in. I don't have anything. But then there's a lot of people that they're like, we are 50 Indian girls and we have all these tambourines. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's people like, where do I bring my dogs? You know, right, the, the right. hoops and the, you know, I've got fire. Okay, fire people over here. And so, but anyway, so we're under the stage and you can hear the whole crowd, the the set, uh, the uh, the show happening over your head. And I could hear some like some people would get uh, sta- uh, you could hear people clapping and cheering, and mm-hmm. every now and then you'd hear an opera singer, and then the crowd going insane and cheering. So you could you could hear everything, and I could hear some people got like, yeah, big big applause. Isn't it trying on an audience though for not just so many different varieties of entertainment as well? Yeah. I mean, also for just just if it was just stand up and you have an audience, you have so many different kinds of stand ups that appeal to different people. Oh yeah, I mean it's bad show. It's a bad show for stand up. Mm-hmm. Now it's a lot better than it used to be. When I was on it, it was really bad for stand up. Why is that? Uh, it was just how they had it set up. It just the show just wasn't. There hadn't been any good stand up comedians on it, mm-hmm. or or if you were a stand up comedian on there, you had some sort of something unusual about you, like you were a. Um, uh, ventriloquist or your 90 year old woman or your five-year-old with cancer or you're blind or something a five-year-old with cancer doing stand-up now that i want to see <laughs> um you know what i mean like there was nobody that was just like i am a normal person who mm-hmm. is funny right. now there is like now you know like gary uh gary veter and mike kaplan and um and uh, uh taylor williams mm-hmm. and some other people are, you know so now i think they Make it a little easier on stand-ups. Yeah, take it more seriously. Yeah. And what, what was the act you followed? Do you recall? I think it was four people doing a, a little satire about Sarah Palin. Hmm. 
and they had like costumes. I think it was like three girls. Did they bomb? I think they bombed. So you went up sixth hour after a bomb. They did better than me. They didn't bomb as hard as I did. You turned it around though. Right, right, right. Yeah. But I mean, like they didn't get. I don't. I don't remember them getting. I can't remember. I don't think they got booed quite as bad as I did. Though. No, none of that was scripted. No, none of it's scripted. Mm-hmm. Like pe- people, I don't know about. I guess a lot of reality shows are pretty fake. But America's Got Talent, the season I was on, was pretty real. It was, and they didn't really tell you. They would sort of guide you, like in interviews. They would say, you know, like, would you say that this is the most important day of your life? And then they want you to say, like, I would repeat the question. Right. But they want you to give your real answer. Right. You can say whatever you want. So they would say, would you say this is the most important day of your life? And I said, no, no, that was, I'm married. First of (laughs) all, like, that's insulting. (laughs) Yeah, this is better than the day I met my wife. Or like, no, there's TV. Who give, you know, and they let you say whatever you want. And you are unusually calm, or at least you hide your nerves well. Well, I wasn't nervous on that show because I had no respect for it. Mm. I don't have any respect for television. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't have any respect for reality television. Mm-hmm. And I've I'd never seen a comedian on that show that it was good. But despite the medium, you know that if you win or do very well, it can really give you a boost, give your career a boost. Yeah. So, but I mean, I'm more nervous. Like, if I was at the Comedy Cellar, yeah, and I would be nervous because I'm like, this is a forum where I'm supposed to do well. But you like, respect it. And I respect it. But America's Got Talent, it's like, who gives a shit? Like, you know, I get more nervous if a comedian I respect is watching my set right. than if six million people I don't know yeah. and I don't respect. Right. Not, 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 not like I don't respect them, but I don't respect their opinion about comedy. They're not necessarily good judges of comedy right. or watching. Now, but you have, so you had 90 seconds, that first one. Yeah. You're like, you have to go on stage, you have 90 seconds mm-hmm. to impress the judges and the audience. Now, you must have rehearsed that 90 seconds endlessly. You, didn't re- you don't really have to rehearse it endlessly because it's only 90 seconds. <laughs> does it have to be a tight 90? Yeah. So you have to make sure your pacing You is... got to figure out. So, but I mean, I just told, you just time it like you would time any mm-hmm. set and you just time it a little under. You know, you say, oh, you just time it at like 70 seconds knowing that... You'll probably go a little, it'll be longer when you add some laughs mm-hmm. or now, booze. <laughs> when, yeah, when they started booing and you, at some point, you must have realized, all right, I can't keep doing the material that I've rehearsed. Like, you, you must have been kind of disappointed because you had this material prepared. Mm-hmm. And then when they were just booing over all your jokes and you turned it around and you just started insulting them, mm-hmm. that was just an improvised decision. Yeah, well, like, half of them were booing me. I could tell they didn't like me. Right at the beginning, I think they didn't... I don't know, they might have cut my opening statement, which my opener then was, are there any optimists in the crowd? And there's, like, some people say, like, yeah, woo, and I go, my jokes are going to disappoint you the most. And I could... I think they cut that from the show? I can't remember. I think they did, yeah. And I could feel them. As soon as I said that, nobody booed or said anything, but you can... I could feel them turn. Yeah. Because from their point of view is they're like, I'm just telling them like, I'm going to be bad. Right. Which is a self-deprecating joke. But a lot of crowds, they don't like self-deprecation. They're like, I paid to sit, you know, like you're supposed to be funny. So a lot of people don't like. For a mainstream audience. Or just not even a mainstream audience, but it's a certain, certain type of crowd. I would say they like self-deprecation, but when you're telling them that you're going to be bad, you're kind of insulting them. 
Yeah, they're like, all right, we'll get off. Right. So anyways, I could feel them turn, and then I think I told one or two jokes, and then half of them started booing. And I was just like, I said, you, you, and people were like angry, like, boo! Yeah. And that's when I stopped, and I said, you're, awful, you're awful people. <laughs> or then I think they buzzed me, and I screamed the F word. I went, fuck! Oh, yeah. And they, they tell you, they're like, don't curse. And they tell you they're going to buzz, they're like, if you get buzzed, just keep going. Well, just Piers Morgan buzzed you. <laughs> Right, yeah. and they tell you if you get buzzed, just keep going. But they didn't. I didn't realize how loud the buzzer is going to be. It it's was so really, loud. and so it honestly, it startled me. So I went, ah! <laughs> it was <laughs> like screamed. twice as loud as your material. Yeah. Wait, what is what is the buzzer for? Uh, do your fucking homework, bro. America's got talent. <laughs> what are you doing? This is insulting. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, Matt, Matt's like uh, Matt represents the audience. He doesn't do any of the research on uh, the idea. Okay. Yeah. So when Matt hears stuff, he's hearing it for the first time as well. This must be exciting for you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> but I like you doing the insulting thing. That's good. Every, but seriously, what, what is the buzzer insulting. for? Because maybe some other people who are listening haven't watched the show. So there's three judges, and uh, if they don't like you, they, they hit a buzzer in the middle of your act. But you can keep going. Right. You only have to stop if you get... Three or two? Two okay. or three. Because um, it's three judges, so if you get two buzzes, that means you're gone. I think so, yeah. Wow. Because on the gong show, which I have watched, one <laughs> gong, you're off. <laughs> but this is, takes three buzzes. Different, yeah. Okay. Or it might take two buzzes, I forget. Well, that um, makes sense. There's three. Yeah. Yeah. Do but you get to talk with the, any of the judges beforehand? Like Sharon Osbourne was there and Howie no. Mandel? I mean, you, you, you see him walking, or like you, when, you're, you know, when you're filming, it's like, takes so long and you're sitting around for days and hours mm-hmm. and stuff and so you'll you'll if you're at the food table at the same time you might talk for a little bit or whatever everybody's just kind of chilling but no you don't now do they want the judges to not mingle with the contestants because if you establish a personal connection maybe, maybe i don't know mm-hmm. i mean i'm sure the judges don't want to mingle with the contestants mm-hmm. why would you and how a long bunch of weirdos <laughs> <laughs> yeah they do assemble quite a batch of characters how long had you been doing stand-up at that point not very long. I think uh, maybe three years. Three years. Maybe three or four years. Okay. Something like that. But you knew well enough to drop the material and start going at the crowd when they were booing you. Yeah, if you're already bombing, mm-hmm. it's not like you have anything to lose. And I mean, then also, I wasn't trying to do... I, was, I didn't yell at them because I was trying to win them back. I yelled at them because I meant it. I was like, you, you're horrible people. It's your own natural reaction. To yeah, yeah. Way. I mean, it uh, seems like these shows, it's, it's oh. a crowd mentality. It's very easy to just hide in the crowd of, of booing, mm-hmm. you know. But when yeah. you do a stand-up show and you bomb, people never stand up and boo like that. Oh, they do. <laughs> You've had that happen? Yeah, yeah. I've been booed plenty of times. I've been, I get heckled a lot. I get booed a lot. I came up in Philadelphia, which is a pretty rough scene, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then I also get heckled more than most people. I get heckled everywhere I go. Even places that they're like, this is a really nice What is it about you? Place, Portland. And I'll go to Portland and people will be like, you piece of shit. Did you get heckled <laughs> on the way here? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is it about you that people find you? I don't know. Heckleable. I don't know. I mean, I got, I put a lot of pauses in. Um, like I try to be like kind of casual and I'll, and and so I'll put in like pauses that are easy to fill with booze or yelling things out or... Um, I guess I'm not very intimidating, or but I don't know act, what it is. Your act is a little challenging because you're kind of like an Andy Kaufman, Steve Martin kind of 
absurdist intelligent yeah yeah i mean especially it used to be i think my act is actually a little more uh grounded in reality now than it used to be Mm -hmm. but yeah there used it used to be pretty alternative and there used to be a bigger Mm buy-in and uh so i think that was probably part of it too but even now just with where i'm telling jokes like oh my son did this or i was at the coffee shop and i still get heckled I yeah, you have a more son? than the average person. Yeah, he's five months old. Oh wow! Congratulations. Boom. Thank you. <laughs> Boom. He sucks. <laughs> do you have kids? I don't. Yeah, the people that are always like a lot of times people will do that. They'd be like, "Boo!" Or like, before I had a kid, I had a joke where I go, "My wife and I are thinking about having kids." We're thinking no, but in the pause between, we're thinking about having kids. We're thinking no. Sometimes I just say, "My wife and I are thinking about having kids," and people would yell out, "Don't do it!" And I would always ask them, I go, do you have kids? And they go, no. And I go, well, what the, what, what do you know? What the fuck are you talking about? You have no idea. Well, you're just thinking, you're just remembering when you were a kid and you were a piece of shit. Maybe I'll raise my child right. Maybe they won't be a brat like you were. Jesus. The people that don't like kids never have kids. Well, which is crazy. Maybe that's why they don't have kids because they don't like kids. No, I think it's, I, 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 it's just like anything they decide. I mean, you that does make complete sense. Yeah. But I don't think that's it. But it's also like, if you ask someone, wherever someone lives, that's the best place to live. You know, I have a bit that compares yeah. New York to LA. And people are always like, oh, LA sucks. And I'm like, let me guess, you've never lived there. Yeah. Always. Yeah. They've never lived there. Although or a lot never of people been there. live in New York hate New York. Fine. That's normal. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's normal. Especially during the summer. And at least you could have a voice about it. Yeah. You know, you've lived here. But yeah, people, wherever they are, that's the best place to be. But I am trying to just discuss that feeling where people are like, I don't like kids. And mm-hmm. you're like, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a blanket statement. <laughs> like, I don't like that's adults. That's not me. I, I booed you as a joke. I actually, despite oh. not having kids, I get along very well with kids. Oh, okay. Yeah. But a lot of people don't like yeah. kids. And a lot of people are like, I don't like them. No, that's, like- a, that's a whole age group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't like them. At Adults? what point do you start mm-hmm. to like them? <laughs> yeah yeah oh what age 10 is the magic number for hey, you kids i like teenagers i love adults yeah yeah <laughs> senior <laughs> citizens oh they're the best the best older kids. the better <laughs> i treat people like wine yes so when you take your uh five-year-old five-month five-month five-month-old five son to the playground and everyone's just booing and heckling you <laughs> get your kid out of here <laughs> so this america's got talent thing mm-hmm it was amazing. You turned it around just in time. I feel like uh, Howie Mandel or Sharon Osbourne was maybe about to buzz you as well. Like you could have. It was like crucial. Like the whole thing was ninety seconds, but yeah. it really came down to like a ten-second interval where if you didn't flip your switch, they would have shut you down. Probably, I guess. I don't know. I mm-hmm. mean, it ended up being. I mean, it was longer than ninety seconds. Had you done uh, that before, where you've berated the crowd? No. No, I've never yelled at the crowd before, mm-hmm. but I've, I mean, I've talked to, like, whenever people heckle me, I always address it. I love it when people heckle me, because it's... I, I mean, kind of like it, too. I don't like it. Like, a lot of people are like, I helped, because I ruined the show, and then you saved it. It's like, right. no, you ruined... Yeah, it's like, you ruined the show, and then I fixed it. You didn't actually help the show. But personally, and I would never say this to an audience, but I like it when people heckle me, because then it gives me an excuse to make fun of them. Mm-hmm. Um... So I've ha- I've been heckled before, and then I've, you know, made fun of the, the, the person and stuff. But I've never really like screamed the way I did. But I had to because there's the Hammerstein Ballroom. I think it's like 
I mean, it's thousands of, 5,000 people it holds maybe. Yeah. It's huge. And so I had to scream. Like, usually when someone would heckle me, I'd just go, oh, what? You know, and you just talk to them and make fun of them. You could actually see them. Yeah, in a low-key <laughs> way. But this was a crowd of people. So I kind of had to. And they were booing so loud. It was like a mob lynch mob. I had to scream to be heard. Yeah. So. But isn't it a fine line if you're on, even in a small club, if you're on stage and someone heckles you. You want to insult them or shut them down in a way, but you don't want to be too mean because they are part of the audience that you want to like you. Yeah, you don't want to be too mean. Yeah, when someone heckles you like in a, a club, mm-hmm. I always actually try to be, first of all, you want to give them enough rope to hang themselves. So like whatever they, whatever dumb thing they say, you let them repeat it. You go like, what? Like nev- never, also a lot of times you, you, you'll think someone's heckling you, but they're not. Mm-hmm. Like I've... <laughs> I've had people yell stuff out and I get angry at them and then they were yelling out. You were great. <laughs> yeah. Or like the name of one of your jokes that they love that uh-huh. you didn't tell or something like that. And so a lot of times people aren't, most of the time people actually aren't trying to be rude. And now so, when you say give them enough rope to hang themselves with, can you give me an example? Well, so that's an example. So like sometimes you're like, wait, what'd you say? And they'll mm-hmm. be like, I love your shirt or something or like you're my favorite or like something they shouldn't be yelling out, but they're not trying to be mean right a lot of, so a lot of times they're not trying to be mean mm-hmm. then sometimes they're saying something that's just really stupid sometimes they you know and so like just let them repeat them say like what and then like talk to them for a little bit and eventually they'll say something like really dumb or really rude because the audience probably doesn't mind as much as you do so you need to get the audience to mind that this person is talking get them yeah. on your side y- yeah because you're basically asking them to turn against one of their own and join you yeah i mean they don't it's not too hard to do i just say don't get too mean too quick and mm-hmm. i always try to keep it pretty low-key and you can make fun of them pretty easily but like don't get angry but what you did on america's got talent was almost like an S&M thing. You're just like berating the audience and then yeah. they're like, oh, I like this. I like being berated. This is fun. People like it. Especially if it's not them personally. Yeah. Sometimes even people like being, yeah. you, you make fun of somebody. If you're being funny while you're doing it, right. sometimes people like it because it's like you're getting attention and they know you're kidding. And yeah it's just nice to be noticed <laughs> isn't there, isn't there a restaurant it. there's a restaurant somewhere where the wait staff is the theme of the restaurant is the wait, wait staff is really cruel to the customers oh i think that's a lot of restaurants <laughs> <laughs> i think it was an snl sketch you're thinking of i don't know if there's an actual real there is some, yeah. it's in cal I, maybe it was based on that i could be wrong but i think yeah. it's in california there are a lot of places that are famous for how rude they are though uh-huh yeah, it makes sense. And we like it. It shows a certain confidence. It's like, fuck you, don't buy my soup. Oh, it must be good. <laughs> a lot of times <laughs> when I people are it. really nice to you, you lose respect for them because it puts you in a position of power. And the instant you get in a position of power, you tend to abuse it or get a little cocky or something. And so when you're a supplicant, you want to win somebody over. You respect them more. You're trying harder. But also, this is an interesting topic, because also when someone is really nice, it takes away your freedom to be a jerk mm, you know like point. if someone's really nice and you're like oh well i have to be like really nice but if someone's a jerk then you're like oh well whatever i'll do whatever i want you know <laughs> that, that, that that's an important freedom to you you <laughs> you're like i like the freedom to be a jerk i don't want anyone to tread on that well you know what i mean like you ever been with someone and they're just so nice and you're like oh you know now i gotta like put on my kid gloves and you know 
Mm-hmm. But if someone seems a little bit like a dick, you're just like, all right, whatever. They're kind of a dick. You, know? you don't have to try. Yeah. That's why I'm, uh, that's why I'm mean to that's me. That's why you're so rude. <laughs> exactly. So we'll finish up this America's Got Talent thing. But you went on, they ended up, you ended up getting passed. What was the, if you would have won, what did, was it a million dollars? Surprise? I think you get a million dollars and you get, um, I think, a residency at one of the Las Vegas casinos and stuff like that. Which your act does not fit. No. <laughs> I shouldn't have gotten past the first round. <laughs> yeah. You must have been surprised. Yeah. But then, okay, so then you did the next round that I saw. You incorporated pyrotechnics. Yeah, yeah. Into well, so the next round they actually didn't televise. The second round was in Vegas, and it was just for the judges. Okay. There was no audience. Mm-hmm. And for that round, I just did my stand. I just did straight stand up. You knew they weren't filming. <coughs> they were filming, but they didn't televise that one. Okay, because it was just. I think for that round, it was just people performing for the judges, and I think they showed less. Of the, they didn't show everybody's, mm-hmm. and I just did stand up. And then for the third round, so I wasn't sure what I was going to do because I, I figured if I just do my stand up, I don't think people are going to like it because I, I my material just isn't right for this show. It was a little too alternative, and so I was trying to figure out what to. Uh, but I thought I, don't, I can't just yell at people every time. <laughs> <laughs> so are you like hoping they boo you again? Yeah, I'm like I can't do that again, and so. They call you and you're talking to them and stuff, and they ask you, "Okay, what do you need for your set? Uh-huh. Like, what's your, what are your music cues? What's your tech? What do you, what do you need? What's the blocking?" Right. And I said, "I don't need anything. Mm-hmm. I'm wearing my own clothes. I just need a microphone, and I'm just one person." And they go, "Okay." And so, but then I asked them. I said, "Well, what if I wanted, like, could I get pyrotechnics?" And they said, "Yeah." And I was like, "Could I get?" you know, like stunt dogs or something they're like, yeah. And so they're like, you can get whatever you want. Like all the, cause all these other acts are doing insane things, like making a full size uh, trains disappear and you know, all these crazy things. And so I came up with this idea to use all these special effects yeah. in my act, but act like I didn't. So I come, I, what I did is I came out and I said, you know, the producers have told me to, add a bunch of special effects to my act and uh but i'm not going to do that because i i think it'd be a betrayal of my artistic integrity and then these uh fireworks go off behind me but i don't know it (laughs) and so then during my act all these crazy things keep happening yeah barely i'm noticing them out of the corner of my eye because i'm focused on my act i'm like what what is going on and then finally at the end there's this huge thing and i go oh okay i see and i'm like angry right and so they gave me everything I wanted except... But wait, I, you blew past that too quickly. Because, first of all, there's explosion, yeah. fire, a humongous applause sign. Yeah. And then what, like 30 dancing, uh, what was it, Native American women or something? So, well, first of all, I wanted the applause sign to say fart. And uh-huh. he said no. <laughs> and they're like, all right, all right, applause, I guess. And then the, uh, at the end, I wanted what I wanted. I said, can you have, I want, a, I want a herd of teacup pigs to run out on the stage. And they said, first of all, it's a rare, you've, you've chosen a rare animal. Secondly, anytime you have live animals on a show, they're hard to control. We need to pay an animal handler. Mm-hmm. It's, a big, it's a big thing. And, I and said, they're not billing you for any of this. It's just No, it's just the show. They'll do whatever. You know? yeah. And so I said, okay, what about children 
just as pigs. And they said, we're not even going to discuss that. I said, and then they go, what about beautiful dancing girls? And I said, are you listening to me at all? This is the exact opposite of teacup pigs. Right. And they said, okay, what about can-can dancers? And I said, are they wearing pig masks? And they said, okay. And it was that <laughs> quick. There's, you know, and so that, that's why. So we ended up with a bunch of can-can dancers. With pig masks. With pig masks. Right. I don't know why they suggested can-can dancers. I guess they had some can-can dancers. They're just locked up in a storage closet. They had somewhere. them for something. I don't know. <laughs> so that's what we ended up with. So you wrote, you obviously you wrote this material for the show because you don't do that, that in clubs. That would be quite expensive right. to travel with. No, no. Yeah. So, you, so how much time is in between you writing it and actually filming it? I don't remember. Not a ton. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the third round, I wrote it on stage because I'd wanted, I'd wanted a guy in a white dinner suit to hold my microphone the whole time. Mm-hmm. as like a mic stand and when we were doing rehearsals they said okay we 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 can't get the guy because it's gonna it's gonna cost us too much money because this guy's gonna be on camera the whole time so we got to pay an actor and we got to pay him the sag minimum and so it's gonna cost us a bunch of money so we're not gonna do it uh-huh. and i said well what about can i get a flaming hoop and a mini trampoline and they said no 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 and i said well no i'm not gonna really jump through it i'll just pretend i'll run up and i'll jump on the trampoline and then i'll look at the hoop and get scared and just jump off and run around it and they go oh okay wheel out the the wheel out the flaming hoop and they just did it like in rehearsal we just yeah um they just had a flaming hoop and a mini tramp and um and when your chair your chair went on fire at some point and you threw your water over it was that planned yeah. Okay. And originally the fire had been much larger. Mm-hmm. They had to fireproof my suit. They actually had to fireproof my suit for the second, the the, the third and fourth round, which, which I, I liked. It's such an interesting form of stand-up because, you know, in, in stand-up comedy, using any kind of props is, you kind of look down upon yeah. for some reason right now, even though Steve Martin used plenty of props. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know why it's looked down upon. Do you know why it's looked down upon? seen as a a crutch crutch i mean it's um yeah if you have strong i mean part of the appeal to stand up is it's simplicity and that it's just a person talking uh, yeah just a person talking and so anytime you use props or something like that i think it's yeah look look down on for that reason i think it's so silly like limiting it's almost like a militaristic view of an art form I mean, if you could do it in a good way, I'm sure people would be fine with it. Yeah, I think think most people associate it with like Gallagher or Carrot Top, people who are like super mainstream that their material isn't that intelligent, where it's just stupid. But it can be done intelligently. Um, Yeah, probably. Well, yeah, also props don't fit the style of comedy that we like right now. Like Mm -hmm. it worked for Carrot Top and Gallagher and stuff because back then we were okay with jokes that were a little sillier that were like wordplay jokes or just pure jokes as opposed to now the kind of jokes we generally prefer are ones that are grounded in reality and so why would you even need a prop how would you even work a prop into a joke where it's like i was picking my son up at daycare and this person said this thing to me and you know why would you even how would you even use a prop you just you bring your kid you pick up your yeah, kid you it's an act I mean? out with it yeah it's completely unnecessary <laughs> i so. mean would you consider sometimes comics <clears throat> will use video clips things like that is, <clears throat> that is that a prop yeah yeah but that scene is okay right well when who uses video clips i don't know i mean some people do right 
Maybe but, maybe not at a smaller show, but if they're doing a, a you know a bigger show where they they have their own night. Oh, uh, I've never seen someone use a video clip in the middle of their act. Well, like you ever see Bo Burnham, his special on Netflix? Oh yeah, I've never seen his special, but he uses like a yeah. He does that. He does yeah, that. He uses videos. All kinds of cues, video, uh, audio stuff. Oh. It's really interesting. I don't even know if you'd call it stand-up. It's like a mixture of stand-up and performance and a play. Mm. And there's music in it. It's like when I saw it, I was like, wow, this is what happens when, because he's so young, he's like 20. Yeah. This is what happens when you grow up in a basement with just endless YouTube. <laughs> you know, he just like took all the stuff that he absorbed and spit it out in his own weird way. Mm. It's actually kind of reminds me of what I see you capable of doing. Because you, I like that you weren't afraid to use the pyrotechnics and use whatever. I mean, I just did that because I had to for the show. It's like you only get 90 seconds and it's on TV. And I just thought telling jokes wouldn't fit with the rest of the acts. So right. that's the only reason I did it. In on stage, I, I just like doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think if you use the prop in a way that was interesting and funny... Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would have anything bad to say about it. Yeah, no. And did they like it? How did the crowd respond well to to the? Yeah, the yeah, yeah. They liked and, it. Well, well, yeah. I yeah. made it to the. Oh, actually, no, I didn't make it. Oh, so I got voted off after the third round, but then the judges brought me back as a wild card pick uh, for the fourth round, and so that's how I made it into the semis. So I mean, it went well. People mm-hmm. liked it, but did you? Do you win anything? No. Only first place wins. I probably, I think maybe the first three people win something. Mm-hmm. Or I think if you're in like the top 10 or top five, you may be. Oh, what number did you come in? I think I was in the top 24 oh, okay. or 48. I forget what the semis are. I think maybe 24 and then the finals are 10. Now, did this help you with your stand up career? Not really because. I'd only been doing stand-up three years at the time, mm-hmm. and so the only thing I wanted was to do more stand-up. Right. Was to, like, <clears throat> headline. Right. But at three years in, I wasn't ready to do that. I, I, had, I had enough time, but it was, I knew it was, it was bad. It wasn't good enough. No. Yeah. I was like, anybody that comes to see me at headline is going to be disappointed. And so... Now, did you know that, or did you get a headlining slot and find that out firsthand? No, I knew <laughs> it. I knew it. Did. I mean, I had done, yeah, I had done my 45 before and I knew it was weak. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that was the one thing. And then the other thing was just like, I was just not, like I said, I was just not behind the show at all. Like I wasn't on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I didn't like tweet like vote for me. Like I didn't do anything to help build my fan base. I didn't, buy into the experience at all right i didn't dislike the show i didn't trash talk but i was just i didn't try to capitalize on it at all i had a full-time job mm-hmm. that i loved i was the well that was another thing that, that i was like well that's interesting because they brought you up as a graphic designer they didn't even say you're a stand-up comedian they said oh we've got a graphic designer here to do stand-up for you well i was a graphic designer <laughs> <laughs> so you're but looking you're, at my w2 uh, it says graphic designer uh, it's, a, it's a graphic designer do, yeah. do they do that to humanize you to that's the other yeah. reason they do it they they downplay it anyways mm-hmm. so like there's some people i think the guy that won that year <clears throat> he was a musician and they made it sound like he was just like playing in coffee shops and bars and he wasn't famous or anything but i think he actually was a 
pretty well known. Some of the people on that show are like pretty well known, pretty high level people. Right. That have been doing I, I think it, it also makes it seem as though the the audience and the show are the ones that are launching your career. Yeah, like, that's be what, part of this experience to make this person go from a graphic designer to a huge stand up. Yeah, I think that's part of it also. Yeah, exactly. so they do downplay it, but they didn't necessarily mischaracterize. <clears throat> they certainly didn't mischaracterize my job. I was a graphic designer. But who wants to see a graphic designer try and do stand up? I feel like they're giving you, they're handy, stealing you a poor deck. You know, they're setting you up for failure. I don't think so. If nobody. Yeah, I think I think for you, Gary, that's true. But I think for the average person, they're like, oh, that's that guy's just like me, and he can become a big star. See how funny he is. Yeah. I felt like they were leading you out to the gallows pole, you know, just like, here's a graphic designer. He's going to try and do stand-up. Get him! <laughs> yeah. So odd, that whole experience. Um, but so, yeah, it didn't help much because I didn't really try to capitalize on it. I had a job I liked. I wasn't about to... People were like, you should quit your job and move to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, just because I was on TV. But every everybody's on TV these days. It doesn't mean anything. Right. Um... And I really enjoyed my job. And I well, didn't. a lot of people watch America's... You could throw up a web video, and you're definitely going to get more exposure from America's I, Got Talent. Yeah, I definitely could have capitalized on it more, but I didn't want to because I didn't care. Mm-hmm. And and also, I had the only thing I cared about was, like, I would like to headline. But, but I knew did I didn't have the material. But you did care, or else you wouldn't be there. Where, on the show? Yeah. I barely cared. Uh-huh. I, but it doesn't make... It sounds hypocritical because either you care or you don't care. You know, you I mean, obviously... I care. I like performing and stuff, but I I did the audition because the the club my the, that I went to Helium, they said, hey, if you uh, America's Got Talent said if any of our comics want to audition, they can skip the line. And so I was like, oh, okay. I never even seen the show. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to act like I'm too cool or like I don't I don't care about the whatever. But isn't that but, kind of just a defense mechanism to shelter you from failure? No. I mean, I think you can you can care about it like, oh, this can help my career. This is good exposure, but emotionally not care. Like you're not hurt if you don't. Whereas, you know, you might have emotionally got much more out of it if some someone you really respected came mm-hmm. up to you in a smaller show and been like, hey, man, you're awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, Howie Mandel, do you like his stand-up? When I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, when I was a kid, he was a stand-up that I... He was one of my favorite stand-ups when I was a kid. Right. So did that mean anything that he was watching and judging? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was cool. I was honestly excited. Yeah. I remember, yeah, really liking his stuff when I was a kid. So you did care? I mean, I care. I don't know why you're so hung up on how much I care. <laughs> well, only I only, because I, re, I totally relate to this, because I feel like I've done this a lot in my life, where I'll be like, oh, I don't care. I don't I th- care. I think maybe you're projecting... Mm-hmm. I think you're maybe confusing me with you. Mm. Who are you? <laughs> Who am I? I mean, like I cared. I cared about doing a. I care about doing a good job. I always try my hardest and try to do a good job. Yeah, whatever I'm on, and that included America's Got Talent. But I didn't really care. I don't respect reality television as a medium, and. But you respect Howie Mandel as a stand-up. Uh, I wouldn't say I respect him as a stand-up. I. Th- I liked to stand up a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really great. What happened to him? Why did he stop doing stand up? He probably still does stand up. Yeah, but his yeah his the, the gigs he has now pays <clears throat> so much. Yeah, you know, but that's does he still host the other the other show that he did the uh, 
What's the other show? The Some one with the show. briefcases? Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, so. those shows make them so much money. Bobby's World and yeah. stuff. And, yeah. You know. Yeah, but you, you, need, you need some integrity, you know, like integrity. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Howie. I'm sure you care what I think, but. Howie, do you care? Well, people always, <laughs> Americans especially, always justify something. Well, you make so much money. That means it's right. It's such an American thing, you know? Oh, well, you, look at all the money he's making. Of course he's making the right decision. Mm-hmm. No, you got to wake up with yourself in the, the next day, you know? On a pile of money. <laughs> yeah, it's not, like, it's not like he's sucking dicks. He's right. hosting game shows. There's nothing right. shameful he's about still, that. He's still entertaining. <laughs> he's an entertainer. Yeah, I mean, and also there's a lot of comics that... I mean, he did stand-up for a long time before he became a TV personality. There's a lot of people that do stand-up for 10 or 15 years, and then they're like, all right, I want to do something different and they still do stand up you know and also these days you kind of have to diversify yeah he he might not have something new to say comic wise i mean like i remember a few years ago i i went to see um kevin meany perform Mm -hmm. Uh, and like you know as a kid it was just like howard mandel he was hilarious he did pretty much the same exact act that he did 20, 30 years ago. And it was just, I was embarrassed watching it. Wow. Why you gotta put the girl in the raccoon skin coat? That's not right. That's not right. He said it a few times. We're big pants people. All the same, like, classic jokes he was doing again. Right. Where I would have been, I would have been much happier seeing, seeing him, like, host the feud or something like that. It know? was his greatest hits tour. <sighs> it was tough to watch. Well, it's also that era of, yeah. era of comedian. Most mm-hmm. of them, yeah, they just keep the hour. Andrew Dice Clay did a tour in, uh, like, maybe the two early 2000s or uh-huh. something and it was pretty much all of his stuff that was popular in the 80s mm. and the crowd i was working at the concert and the crowd was uh basically like they would sing along with Freebird. yeah they yeah. were singing along with this hickory dickory dock and everyone's shouting it out it was the most i was like why are people here i don't get it a lot of times people don't mind though like brian regan he'll do his new set and then at the end of the show, he'll go, okay, are there any jokes that you'd like to hear? And people will yell out their favorite jokes, and he'll do it. That's so bizarre to me. I guess, you know, he's giving the people what they want. Yeah, I mean, that's awfully, you know, because ultimately, I do think we are entertainers. You know, ultimately, you're there to entertain the crowd. If people pay to see you, give them some entertainment is how I feel about it. And I know a lot of people feel like, well, you have to challenge the crowd, make them think. Make them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> didn't know that was going to be a question mark at the end of that. Uh, <laughs> First, I want to pique your uh, curiosity. Yeah, there. It's uh, yeah, it's they're, they're both true. It depends what kind of comedian you. Some comedians you like because they're going to challenge you, and you don't know what they're going to say. And mm-hmm. um, then other comedians you like just because they're fucking funny mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier that uh maybe some stand-ups abandon doing stand-up as much and do these weird shows to diversify and now uh in researching you you've diversified mm-hmm. you've got at first i was like oh he's got three books out expecting them to be like novels uh-huh. and then when i actually looked at the books they're really kind of funny odd peculiar yeah. illustration books mm-hmm. with words Oh, uh, the first one. What's it? it's uh something? So I have three books. Yeah. that I wrote. Everything explained through flowcharts. A hundred ghosts and some very interesting cats. Cats. Yeah. And then I've also illustrated a middle middle grade trilogy 
uh, kid presidents, kid athletes, and kid artists. Mm-hmm. Artists. So you're bringing your graphic design together, or you're, you're just you're kind of a you're an illustrator, you're an artist. Yeah, these days I don't do as much design. I'd still design if I my books. Uh-huh. Um, just because I'd like to have control over every aspect of the book. Yeah. Uh, but now, so when I graduated, so yeah, when I graduated from college, I did book design for about 10 years. And then now I don't really do design as much anymore. Now I do illustration and mm-hmm. writing. Now, where did you get, why, why these books? And is it something that you feel like came from your comedy? No, I started doing comedy I did art before I did comedy. Mm -hmm. Like I went to art school and I wanted to. Where'd you go to art school? uh, Tyler School of Art in Philly. Okay. You're from Philly? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm from Bethlehem, kind of. PA? Yeah. And then I I grew up, I actually grew up in the countryside of uh, Pennsylvania at the base of the Blue Mountain, but I'm sort of from Bethlehem. I lived there for a little bit. And then... I went to college in Philly and I lived in Philly for 15 years. So I sort of think of myself as Philly is kind of my, my city. Mm-hmm. You I feel f- like it's part of feel who you are from. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What is it about Philly that you identify with? I just, I lived there for a long time, mm-hmm. but the <laughs> characteristics of it, I've been there a few times and it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of character. Yeah. I like Philly a lot. I love the crowds there. There's, uh, they're not like stupid. They're not like too nice. Mm-hmm. They're not stupid, but they're not too smart either. You know, <laughs> like they're very real. It's not like a Brooklyn crowd that goes like, mm, oh, that's interesting. Oh, I see what you did. Right. <clears throat> you know, they're, I mean, that's where I got heckled a lot. You know, if they like you, they'll let you know. But if they don't. They call it the city of brotherly love, but I never found it to be like. Such a misnomer. Yeah. Largest not, misnomer. Yeah. Although I don't really think it's as rude as everyone says. Everybody says it's so rude, and I go, I don't think it's that rude. And then they mention stuff that, like, what about when you threw batteries at Santa Claus, or like when you they, there's all these different like stories Wait, that, that are batteries? true. Who threw batteries at Santa Claus? At a baseball game. Um, Was it a Jew? <laughs> uh, well, see, yeah, it's kind of a tough city. I mean, I think in New York also, everyone's like, oh, it's rude, <clears throat> and it's like it's branded. I saw maybe like a seamless ad on the subway, and it's something along uh, the lines of like, you hate everything, so order seamless. It's totally New York. And I'm like, I don't ads. hate everything. Now I just hate that ad. <laughs> hate those ads. I like how we're like, we don't hate everything, and then I go, oh, I hate that ad. Yeah. <laughs> I hate an inanimate object. I'm furious at it. Yeah, they do kind of brand a whole city, but it's hard to categorize a whole batch of I th- people. I think a lot of times it's true. I mean, I get it. Philly's rude, and I do think New York is rude, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, oh, yeah, so I went to art school. So I started doing art first. Yeah. And, um, and I didn't start doing comedy until pretty late in life. I think it was like 26, maybe, okay. 27. Had you wanted to be... Uh, just like a professional illustrator yeah i didn't i didn't really know what what i wanted to do i liked visual art i tried to be a writer I'd for i tried to write books i tried to write screenplays mm-hmm. i made some movies always comedy oriented uh kind of funny yeah like kind of most of it kind of funny because your comedy isn't street like comedy it's kind of a little dada a little you know absurdist a little like Makes you laugh on the inside, but nothing might show on the outside. 
Oh, that's an insult. Is it, is it really? No, but <laughs> well, it's laugh just... to you. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say laugh out loud funny. Well, no, because I know what I you don't, mean. I don't though. mean it as an insult. I mean it as a compliment. And here's why: because I see so much stand up, and oftentimes the person that made the room laugh the most, I won't remember a thing they said. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. then the person that stays with me where i'm like oh that bit it's it's still in my head i remember it and i remember the person saying it, it might not have gotten the biggest laugh no but i know what you mean it's the most interesting has the most depth to it you know yeah i know what you mean yeah um and i, I think you're not wrong <laughs> <laughs> not wrong is Which that is almost why... right no that's, that's the same as right you guys keep subtly insulting each other back and forth <laughs> i'll just sit here no i think you're not wrong yeah. um yeah all my art has always been sort of funny Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always loved books. I love reading. And so when I graduated from school, I knew I wanted to do something in publishing because I really like books. And so, and so, yeah, I, I worked at a couple of publishers in Philly and yeah. designed books and, um, and then started stand up comedy mm-hmm. when I was a little older. Did you, uh, feel like you took to it right away? Yeah. As soon as I did it. I liked it. Do you remember your first time? Mm-hmm. Will you tell us about it? What, what happened? Did you bomb your first time? No, I did well. You did well. A lot of people do really well the first time. And oh, then, really? Yeah, and then bomb the second, third, and fourth. Uh. <laughs> it's an odd thing. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, was it? Um, I was looking for something to do. I tried a bunch of different things. I was At that point, I was doing a lot of... I've been doing illustration, and I've been trying to like write and illustrate books, and mm. I was doing a really bad job and i'd gotten depressed because you know what's that curve there's a there's a word for it where you you're good enough to know you're bad mm. when you start out at something you you don't know anything and you have that blissful ignorance yeah and then you get to a certain point where you're pretty good but you're good enough to know how bad you are and so you're good enough to have good taste and envision what you want to be creating but you're not good enough to actually create that thing and right. so it's a it's a it's a difficult point and i got into that point with illustration and writing and i was trying to make these books and and stuff and i was just really uh embarrassed with my own work and depressed and then also i i was spending a lot of time sitting at a desk drawing or writing and i you know i was like you know i want to do something that gets me out of the house mm-hmm. so i i'd heard that there was a i actually wanted to be a singer i wanted to be a jazz singer <laughs> you're picking all the worst career choices uh <laughs> author 
yeah. a visual artist, jazz singer. And so, but I couldn't find a place to sing. You should have just picked poor person. Yeah. Yeah, but who gives a shit? Like, what are you going to do? You're going to, all right, so pick a job where you make a lot of money. Great. Right. Now you're happy? Yeah. <laughs> then you get an ulcer and die of cancer in your 50s and you're rich. Yeah. Or I think, or I think what usually happens is just like you get a job, you don't particularly like it. Everything's fine. The end. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, so I, I know they're bad jobs that I'm, I've, I've consistently picked uh, low paying jobs <laughs> over the years. Um, so, but I couldn't find a jazz club to sing at. And then also like there's a, there's certain barriers cause I'm like, wow, I don't know how to sing. <laughs> like I like singing, but I was, I didn't know how to read music and like, do I need a piano? I need a piano player. So, and then I heard there was a comedy club in town. And I, so I said, Oh, I'll just, I'll try that instead. Yeah. And I had read Larry David, an interview he did about the first time he did stand up, mm-hmm. And he said, I, f- I found a mic to perform at. I knew it was, it was three minutes or whatever. So I wrote three minutes of material. I went up and said it. And then nobody laughed at any of it. So I threw it all away. And the next week I wrote another three minutes. I tried that. The jokes that people laughed at, I kept the ones they didn't, I got rid of. And I, that sounded really simple to me. And I liked yeah, but you're only Sound trying it on one audience, one night. No, I know it's a simplification, but like he's just saying, like you, you find out how much time you got to fill. You write to fill that time, right? You keep the jokes that are funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I, um, there was a club in Philly that was relatively new, was Helium Comedy Club, and they had an open mic, and I signed up for it, and I got on, and then yeah, and I just I did it. That curve that you were talking about with uh, drawing, yeah. When you were talking about that curve of how you think you're really good at the beginning and then you get good enough to realize that you're bad, mm-hmm. I thought you were talking about stand-up comedy. Well, it applies it's almost like any art form. Yeah, oh yeah, it applies to any art form. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Is there a name for that? Is it the Dunning-Kruger effect? I don't know why you're looking at me. I don't know. <laughs> you kind of look like a Kruger. <laughs> it might be called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh-huh. Um, I've heard about it different places, and then Ira Glass also gave a, a speech it's, it's recently. It's definitely true, and that's why often, it. like, if you're doing something, if you're learning an instrument when you're a kid, you might not have that realization, just because you're still too young to realize mm-hmm. you're not good enough, and you keep going. And that's why I think taking on things when you're an adult, let's say stand-up comedy in your, your mid to late 20s, it hits you harder than maybe sucking at playing violin when you're nine. You're so much more critical, too, when you're an adult. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. every kid, we all did art when we were children, and we all, almost everybody stops. And it's not because you got worse, it's because it became less enjoyable, and it became less enjoyable, partially because you get more critical. And also, adults are very <clears throat> fearful of new things, where kids, so here's my example that I use. If you give a kid an iPad... He'll just keep pressing around and figure out how to work it. Mm-hmm. He'll just press. You, you probably you probably hate that about kids how they do that, right? I hate anything about kids. Drives you crazy. <laughs> Anytime they got to use their fingers and touch things, he's tapping disgusting. the back. What an yeah. idiot! Yeah. But adults, you give the iPad to, and they're like, "All right, well, what do I do?" And you're like, "Just yeah, yeah, touch yeah. it, play with it." Yeah, and they won't. There's that weird fear when you get older. You get kind of uh, you don't want to do something wrong. I always tell because you know when you explain it to older people, you're like, "Don't worry, you're not going to blow up the world." There's nothing you can touch on this iPad that's going to ruin anything. Just have fun. Yeah. And it gives them a nervous breakdown for the most part. Yeah. It's a strange thing that the human brain does. In a way, I understand why there's more freedom when you're younger. 
You're, you're, there's, there's no box to think inside of. Yeah, well, also nothing bad's happened to you yet. I mean, there's a good reason to be I'll fearful for when yourself. you're older. You had a nice childhood, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the bad things, you know, they start to happen. Yeah. But, you know, by the time you're old, so many bad things have happened to you. You know, you're afraid to touch the iPad because there was one time when you had a computer and you deleted all your files accidentally. Mm. You know, That's never happened to me. Oh, it's happened to me. <laughs> really? You've touched the computer and everything disappeared? Well, you're messing with it and you accidentally delete something or you move things or you, you know, mm. you mess it up and right, you're like, yeah. oh, what I, t- oh, crap. And I think with that, especially maybe older people, computers 10 years ago, you could completely mess up the computer. Yeah, yeah. Where, where you know, you've given it a, a virus or crashed it or something like that where yeah. it's not necessarily true with an iPad now. Yeah, it's pretty hard to mess it up. So uh, this Galen Kruger... What's the, <laughs> uh, the Dun- Dunning-Kruger effect, Dunning-Kruger. I think, is what it's called. Dunning-Kruger. I'm going to look this up afterwards. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Cause, it's um, really good to know about. It's good to keep in mind. It is, but I feel like it constantly happens with uh, any art, any, almost anything, yeah. actually. Well, yeah. Yeah, I, di- I didn't say that it didn't. Yeah, it's, yeah. But, like, okay, for you, with stand-up comedy, how many years in did you realize that your material was perhaps... You realize that it's kind of beginner, even though it was getting laughs. You're like, oh, it was kind of amateurish. I've never really had that hump, the Dunning-Kruger hump. I never really hit it the same way I did with other art forms. Mm -hmm. I think think because with stand-up, you're more self-aware at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Because you're constantly having good sets and bad sets. Mm -hmm. You know, so I never really, I've never really hit the hump the same way as I did in other art forms. Um, although you do, I feel with stand-up, you get to a point where you're, you get, you expect to, to do, I think the Dunning-Kruger hump in stand-up for me is where you hit the point where you expect to do well, right? Yeah. Like every set, if you, you're supposed to crush. If you don't crush, you bombed. You know what I mean? Like every joke you get, you know how well it's supposed to do. Your expectation gets higher for yourself. Yeah, you can only have bad sets. But don't you have jokes where they may have always gotten a laugh, but now you look back on them like, uh, I'm not doing that joke because well, it's, yeah. it's too lowbrow perhaps or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're... Well, at the point I'm at now, I don't necessarily look back on old jokes and think they're bad but I'll, I'll rotate them out because i'm like well i've told that for a long time or it doesn't fit my new style like my style is changing quite mm-hmm. a bit and so like the, now there's certain jokes where i'm like i can't tell it anymore because the style is different you have one joke that stuck with me from my research the jelly and jam joke oh yeah will you, t- will you tell that joke to matt i feel well i'll tell you it's based on a true story which is just that there's this old street joke <laughs> Which is, uh, what's the difference between jelly and jam? I can't jelly my dick in your ass. And I, before I was a stand-up, I thought this was like the greatest joke in the world. And I tried to tell it Wait, to Wait, did some... you write that joke? No, it's just a joke. Oh, it's a street joke. Oh, okay. What's the difference between jelly and jam? Oh, okay. I never heard that before. I think it's not particularly well known. But so I heard this before I was stand-up and I love this joke. And mm-hmm. so I tried to tell somebody this joke at a party. I said to him what's the difference between jelly and jam? And they started to actually answer me. They go, well, the difference between jelly is made by heating fruit up in a warm cauldron, slowly stirring it in jam. And they actually explained the difference. 
Jane Jelly and Jam to me. And so I didn't get to tell him the joke. But in how I do it on stage is then I'd, I'd yell the punchline at them anyways. And they're, and they're super confused. Well, that's the thing about, I guess, they're considered riddles, jokes. Uh, but where Yeah, those kind of jokes. People aren't supposed to respond to it. Yeah, and that's yeah. frustrating, whether it's your joke or a joke that's been on the street for ages. Like, don't answer it. It's just the setup. Well, it's you a know? rhetorical question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to pause for a second just to give it effect, but don't jump in and tell me the difference between jelly yeah. and jam, you jerk. Well, well with stand-up, that's the weird thing. Is like you, you ask a lot of rhetorical questions, and sometimes the audience answers. Yeah, I've tried to work them out of... I try to not have... I think it's sort of bad... Bad form? Be a bad joke writing, bad structure to ask a question. Uh-huh. But isn't it like you're asking a question to yourself? Yeah, it is. But it, to me, it creates an unpleasant tension. Uh, yeah, it's just weird, you know. Mm-hmm. I try not to do it. Yeah, because it is a slight opening for the audience to. Yeah, it's just weird. What, what if you just phrase the difference? Like, if you said, like, thing, "I'd like to always... tell you the difference between jelly and jam." There's less. Uh, there's less at stake. It's, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, the punch wouldn't hit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I don't know why that joke stuck with me. <laughs> All things. You, when it stuck with you, I was like, that's so, it's like, you know, third grade humor. That is an example of a joke that I feel bad telling because the punchline is me screaming, I can't jelly my dick in your ass. Yeah. <laughs> and so that is, that is a joke that I tell, but that, that is one that I'm going to like try to phase out. Oh yeah. I just don't like screaming. I can't jelly my dick in your ass. Why do you have to scream it? Well, it's not your joke anyway. It's a street Be, joke. Right. Yeah. In the, well, because in the joke, in the story, I'm so keyed up. I'm so excited to tell him the punchline. Right, right, right. Uh, you know. <laughs> That's funny. So how did you meet your wife? You're married. I see you got a ring on your finger. Yeah. Uh, we met in college. You did? Mm-hmm. Wow. So we've been together for a long time. Long time. So... Uh, she was with you before you started stand-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people ask me about that. A lot of people think, I don't they don't get, they think my it's my wife is weird or something because she well, was... she's obviously weird. She married you, right? Oh, uh, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm just being a jerk so you feel more free. <laughs> now I can take my shoes off. <laughs> uh, no, because she used to come to all my shows. Yeah. And she would even come to just open mics and stuff. Oh, God. And... She's a keeper. She she's she's like, yeah, I like them. It's it's fun. You know, even if it's bad comedy, she's you know, it is I mean a lot of times it's interesting. Like, <laughs> you know, seeing uh bad comedy is just as interesting. Um but yeah, she would like come to shows and come to mics and stuff and um I don't know why. A lot of comedians are like, That's crazy. My girlfriend never um Well, comes I would to think shows. you wouldn't want her there. Why would why why not? Well, I would think you wouldn't want her at an open mic because, first of all, she's a woman and it's mostly men at mm-hmm. open mics. And you don't want her to... It's like showing someone a work in progress. Yeah, but she... I mean, what do I... I mean... It's not like you just met her. This is someone who's taken the ride with you yeah, I've known her all for, these years. Yeah. And, and it's not like she's going to judge you upon, hey, this is something I really want to do. And she comes and supports it. I, yeah, I think maybe some people, their identity is a comedian and for me i don't know if it is Mm. as much you know what i mean um what is your identity 
I don't know, me. Um, You're just a person. Yeah. So, just a person. I, I, I guess <laughs> what I'm understanding is that that's a thing in, in stand-up, that people don't bring their, their girlfriends, boyfriends, husband, wives, partners. But in everything else, people would. They'd come to see your band or your play or your poetry reading or whatever. There is a stigma with stand-ups that they're all single. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot, and a lot of times, but a lot of times, like, people, like, their wives don't want to come to their shows, or they'll be like, oh, my wife doesn't think I'm funny, or she doesn't like comedy or whatever, and I don't know. Don't or she's know. heard it all before. Yeah. You know, because, you know, people see you a lot, they're like, all right, I've heard your whole act, right. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so we met, yeah, we met before I started doing stand-up. We met in college, and we dated and uh, for a long time, and we've been married, like... We haven't been married too long. We've been married like maybe five years or mm-hmm. so. Now, has the marriage changed the relationship? Not much. Because like we dated for a long time. When we were dating, it was pretty casual. And it was long distance for a while. Like After college, we both moved around. and So there were points when we were dating, you know, technically, but not really. Right. How many years had you been together in college before you sp- split? I think only a year. Okay. I think only about a year. She's a year older than me. Ooh. And yeah. Cougar. I like how it's, if I had said she's a year younger than me, you also been like, oh. <laughs> same age. Same age. Boring. Oh, my God. <laughs> same age. <laughs> Kinky. I like ay, ay, ay. Are you Latin? Si. Mucho. Guacamole. <laughs> Because um, I always think, like, if you're in love, I mean, you're only together for a year in college, but if, mm-hmm. if two people are in love, it's you really can't just, you know, live apart. Yeah, I don't know. Love I, doesn't I allow guess you that. Could. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Dis- I'm not saying you're right. I mean, that's the way you feel. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we. I wasn't sure if we knew that we loved each other when we were dating. Right. I don't know. But well, anyway, what is love? Nobody knows. Are you even in love? Have you ever even known love? Yeah. (laughs) You know what you think of love is. Oh, but what other people think it is? Yeah, everyone's got their own sense of love. You know, I might have been in love in high school. Uh And then when I experienced love again, it was very different. Perhaps bigger, perhaps more full. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're not with the right person. Oh, that's a you'd probably know better than I would. Uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously, I've never <laughs> met her. I'm just meeting you. <laughs> How would I know what I think? Who am I? Me? Um, but yeah, so we dated for a while, and then uh, we finally moved in together after a couple of years, and then we lived together for a while. And so, mm-hmm. by the time we got married, you, your original question was how how. Did marriage, did the marriage change, change our relationship? But you're, you're already living together. We were already living together. That's the big step. Um, right? Because living together really does change things. Yeah. I mean, we did everything so slowly. Like, we've been together for so long before we moved in mm-hmm. that moving in didn't seem like that big a deal. It was a big, it was a change, but it wasn't yeah. huge. And then when we got married, we'd already been living together for so long that it didn't seem like a huge change. And then now that we have a, had a kid, even that didn't seem like as big a change as it might have, you know, if, if it had been much earlier. Right. Now, I will say having a kid has definitely been the biggest yeah. change. And, the, and he's five months old? He's five months old. So after all that time, you finally had sex, which is great. Yeah, it took me good 15 years to talk her into it. 
Um, it's actually really nice to hear someone, not only that's a stand-up, but someone that lives in New York mm -hmm. that's in a, such a long relationship. Because New York is not prone for relationships, not built for relationships. That's what I hear from single people. Yeah, it's too many choices. People have too many choices. Yeah. People are too busy. People are too wound up. Oh, yeah, that's what I hear. It's not conducive to a, a long-lasting relationship. Do you think that's for all people or stand-ups especially? I think it's for most people. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, there's exceptions. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But you guys were together before you moved here. <clears throat> yeah. I think if you're here single, it's hard to meet someone that and settle into a relationship because the city is just tumultuous. Yeah, it so is. So if you're in the city, you need to move out of the city for a period of time, <laughs> find yeah. someone and bring them back. Absolutely. All right. Got it. Come in as a unit. Mm -hmm. Like you guys did, you came in as a unit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I living together. I, I've done all this too. I was in a long relationship, and living together is a big step because even if you spend every night together, you know that you have your sanctuary, you have your place you can go to. Then once that's gone, it really does change the energy. It's different. They need to be a good roommate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're not just your lover; they're your roommate. What I always did, it's so different, but what I always, I was like, all right, we're fighting about the dishes. This has nothing to do with our romantic relationship. If you were just a dude that was my roommate, I would still maybe be angry that you didn't do your dishes. You know, and I would make that clear in the relationship. Like, all right, you know, we're fighting about dishes, but let's just be clear. This is a, this is a housemate roommate fight. Mm -hmm. This isn't a romantic fight. Yeah. It's nice to be able to separate it. Like you said, then you become roommates, you got to deal with like, all right, how do I live with this person? Mm -hmm. Same as you would with a friend. You know, you ever like have a friend and you're like, oh, I have a friend move in. Then you got to deal with the same stuff. Mm -hmm. They're yeah. a slob. They finish your food. Mm -hmm. But I guess in a romantic relationship, if they finish your food, you don't care. Oh, I care. I care if you finish <laughs> my food. <laughs> really? Do you, do you write your name on like every piece of fruit? No, my but we're just like, I'm more of a, I'm not a, single child but like i'm sort of more of a single child type of guy and jen isn't mm -hmm. and so she's more into sharing and i'm not and so but she knows that and so what do you mean you have separate food uh yeah a lot of our food's separate most of our stuff is just like separate like i'll buy the food i want she buys the food she wants and we share some of it but not all of it do you share finances not really finances finances yeah not really that's another thing that we're like we basically keep it separate you do How, what what if one person does the grocery shopping i mean little stuff like that it's not a big deal you know what i mean do you share the child or do you have custody days <laughs> she gets uh yeah we switch off okay uh no yeah we share the child you do because now we're sharing finances more because of because of kirby my son, that's mm -hmm. his name. <clears throat> so now it's more like shared, but we still basically like just, you know, she pays her stuff. I pay my stuff. We just kind of keep it separate. Yeah. I had a friend that was living with his uh, girlfriend of the time. And anytime she went grocery shopping, she would put the receipt on the fridge and highlight the stuff that he owes. And but he that's if, yeah, it's like, if that's what you guys want, I mean, the key is like, it, the key is just, communication and just being open and if it drives you crazy that they eat your food just tell them say i don't like it when you eat my food and then if they say i like eating your food 
<laughs> right? The one option is you say, I don't like when you eat my food. And they go, oh, okay, I won't eat your food. Sorry about that. Right. Now, the other option is you say, I don't like when you eat food. And they say, I like eating your food. And then now you just, you just have to compromise. Like she only likes eating the food because it's yours. Or she just likes, she's like, look, it's just, eat, like, the fridge isn't, well, you got to get separate food, you know, or like. Right, what's or, next? Separate what's, fridges? Yeah, or to them it's a symbol of something larger. I don't know what the reason is. But if they, you tell them what you think, and if you're fortunate, they agree with you, and then that's the new norm. Right. And if they disagree with you, then you guys just have to compromise. You have to say, okay, who feels more strongly? And if you feel equally strongly, then you go, okay, we meet in the middle. See, this is what I love about relationships, and I'm sure I've said this before on this podcast, but... When people are in a relationship, there's no rules. The only rules in the relationship are the rules that the two in the relationship agree upon. Society has no say in your rules. You didn't have to get married. You could have a kid and not be married. You don't have to be living together. Oh, society has a huge say in everything you do. Like what? You don't have to do anything. Well, because you don't have to be monogamous. Even before you get in the relationship, your opinions are shaped by what you've seen. And what you've seen is what everybody else is doing. Right, but you don't have to follow that. You don't have to do I anything, but exactly. um, you you do. <laughs> but that's what people forget. It's like, you know, in a relationship, it's it's kind of freedom. You know, people perceive them as confining. But, hey, if you want to be in a relationship that's polyamorous, you can find a girl that'll do that. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Choices might be less, but, you know, anything, any rules you want for your life, you find the partner for that. Yeah. Yeah, th- I mean, that's totally true, I think. But it, it, the fact is, too many people are influenced right. by what society thinks is right. And they, they, people have trouble dropping that. I guess that's why I like repeating that. Because, <laughs> yeah, I do think that if two people decide to be in a relationship, no one else gets to decide your relationship. Only the two people in it. Yeah. But it, and it is usually less about being you know monogamous or not, and more about the rules of the food. That's what most couples go through is like the rules of the food, or or you know who gets the shower first, or yeah. what you're watching on TV, things like that. And that's the place where you really have to work on the, the rules and figure out what works best for both. I, I think a problem is is that people go into it with assumptions of this is the societal norm. Mm-hmm. This is oh this of course, and then. <clears throat> hypothetically i'd be like well that's the societal norm that's not what i agreed upon you can't go into the relationship assuming that that's how it's going to be yeah i mean i think a lot of times it's the societal norm because it's actually the best way to do it we had mike kaplan on and i said societal norm he goes societal norm (laughs) i still laugh about that that's funny (laughs) so funny little cheers reference yeah but yeah i like that about relationships i mean you guys probably have some alternative uh, agreements like the food for example uh, yeah i don't know what's common for most people i'd say we have a you know probably pretty average pretty common relationship i don't think it's too unusual but i don't know mm-hmm. i mean that's unusual what share having different food is it yeah and i mean I you just even couples. you just like different foods it's like i like pickles and sh- she doesn't like love. I mean, she'll eat pickles, but like I like pickles and she doesn't. So she only eats them because they're yours. Yeah, she doesn't really eat pickles. Right. I, but she's not going to be like, "Hey, we're not buying pickles." Right? Like I buy pickles. But if she goes, yeah. if she does and the food shopping, pickles. if she does the food shopping, will she buy you pickles? We've never really lived in a place where it's like, one like, oh, I'm going food shopping for the week. Like we kind of just we always live close enough to grocery stores where it's just like you, you shop every. Day, every other day ah, and you, you get 
little fruit or some broccoli. I mean, if she's going, she'll be like, she'll ask, do you want me to pick you anything up? And I'll so, say, you want any pickles? I'll be well, like, yeah, get me some broccoli. Also, pickles don't run out quickly, and if you no, miss they, a week they without do in, pickles, they do probably. in my house. I, oh, I go oh, through you, about you like them that much. three jars a week. Really? Wow. <laughs> I'm going to die mm. of uh, sodium, some sort of sodium-related uh, illness. Now, is this a city way <laughs> to shop, or is this a, a European way to shop? Because Europeans it, don't tend to go to big Right, it is a European way to shop, mm-hmm. and... Um, I think I picked that habit up when I did, I studied art in Rome. Okay. And I think that is when I picked up the habit of small shopping trips. Yes. And then these days that's mostly what I do. Cause also it's like, you're mostly getting stuff like, well, I'm getting a steak or I'm getting some chicken legs or I'm getting some broccoli and an apple. You, you, you know what I mean? So it, it makes more sense to just get it that day and you eat it that day or the next day. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's how most Europeans shop. That whole like going into a supermarket and filling up a huge wagon, or going to Costco and, and filling up a, a wagon Oof. the size of your car. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have larger homes and larger refrigerators and stuff. And I've always kind of lived in relatively small, you know, apartments or whatever. So it's like you just get a couple things. And mm-hmm. uh, and we're also in, in the city. We live in, in a way where you're often going from the subway past. A store home so you can right. be like oh, grocery stores yeah half a block from my house right. there's a 24-hour grocery store uh maybe like eight blocks there's a great fruit market eight blocks it's just <clears throat> so. how long did you spend in rome i was only there for a semester so okay. like four months during college yeah before rome you met your awesome. wife uh yes yeah, that was before. I met Rome her. is intense, isn't it? To just, just be staring at the apocalypse, like after it happened. Acropolis, <laughs> the apocalypse. Like you the, see, you the see apocalypse? the apocalypse. Yeah, it's like post-apocalyptic city, just staring at. Because there's stuff that was destroyed from years ago, and it, they just left it. Rome. Yeah, Italy. Oh. You're talking about Italy, right? Yeah, yeah. There was yeah. stuff that was destroyed. Yeah, like the Colosseum, for example. Oh, you mean ruins? Yes. Like, oh, oh. It's not like the apocalypse. The apocalypse would be like, oh, everything's go to, gone. Go to Fallujah or yeah, go to a yeah. place that's being actively bombed and is smoking. I mean, the the Colosseum's falling apart because it's old. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of that in Rome, and you're just like, oh, this is what happens when a city makes bad decisions. You know, like if you end up getting attacked, for example. Yeah. You know, it's like kind of a reminder. I think it's good. I, I kind of was like, maybe we should leave a half a tower up just as a reminder. Albert Speer, who was the architect for the Third Reich, um, he he was really concerned with like they, they thought the Third Reich was going to last for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big concern of his. Whenever they would build something, they go, OK, what will this look like in 500 years? And so they studied uh, Roman, you know, like the Colosseum and stuff like that. Right. And so that's why they tried to make everything out of solid marble. They didn't use any rebar because they're like, well, 400 years from now, when this wears down, we want to make sure it still looks good. Yeah, I feel like uh, we don't, Americans don't do that kind of forward thinking with the structures. <laughs> like, are you like, another, an, another good thing we can learn from the Nazis? <laughs> um, no, we really don't. We, don't. we don't build stuff to last. Yeah, in Germany they have like really thick insulation on their buildings. Oh yeah, yeah, where you barely need heat or AC. It's like almost like two and a half, three feet. That's the code. I forget exactly, but mm. and it's not measured in feet, but it's very insulated. Yeah, in Rome our floors were marble. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they actually had a pretty bad system. Every time they have to fill fix pipes, yeah, oh, they no. have to jackhammer up the floor. It was like they have to like, and then they fix them, and then they pour concrete. Or maybe it was just our place, but they had to jackhammer up the floor to get to the water pipes, and then they yeah, you filled think it back they, in. You think they'd cut? They'd have a a hole where they can just unscrew it off. And yeah, I don't know. But anyways, Rome is a beautiful city. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's so organic. You know, like here it's. What do you mean by organic? Well, here we have a grid. Right. But if you look at old cities like London or Rome, the streets, the city, it grew like the roots of a tree. It just grew naturally. And so when you walk down the streets... It's like rays of a sun and they just kind of scatter away. Well, it's like veins in the human body. If you look at Mm -hmm. a street map of London or Rome, it looks like human veins or tree roots as opposed to... uh, a map of New York City uh, where it looks like a checkerboard. Right. So just walking through the city, even though you're not in nature, it feels more natural. That's what you mean by organic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like uh, Gaudi. What's that? The Spanish architect. He uses uh, forms of nature for his um, buildings, for his uh. architecture. Because the forms of nature, they work architecturally like... Uh, the veins of a leaf or a tree, the way they come together, mm-hmm. the tree root will be able to hold it. So he's able to incorporate all these. Uh, I feel like I'm being very artsy right now, but he's able to incorporate. You don't have to apologize. <laughs> Never have to apologize for being artsy. He's incorporating the rules of nature, and if you look at his structures, that's how they're supported. Almost like a suspension bridge. Mm-hmm. His suspension bridges are amazing because there's, you know, they're physics. It's all physics mm-hmm. keeping them standing. Very bizarre. So do you feel like your time in Rome affected you permanently? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how. It changed you? Yeah, I guess a little bit. I mean, not a lot. Did you like pickles before you were in Rome? I've always loved pickles and root beer. <laughs> Ever since I was a little child. That's your thing? Pickles and root beer. Pickles and root beer. Yeah. What's it like being a dad? So that's the biggest change I've had in my life yeah. so far. and I feel Even like it, more so than America's Got Talent? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. It's surprising. <laughs> would you say this is the most important? <laughs> no, I would not say that. Please say it. No. Um, the doctor said that in the hospital, right? Yeah. Here's your baby. Would you say this? Is the, no, repeat it. <laughs> this is the, <laughs> Please repeat the question and the answer. Uh, yeah, it's definitely the biggest. I feel like you can't even talk about it. It's like saying that New York is expensive or crowded. Like, I feel like you can't even talk about you having a kid being a big deal because... You've heard it so many times. You're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Oh, it's a big deal having a child, is it? I didn't know. But no, but more descriptive. Like, uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard it described that it's a 24-7 job. Yeah, but that's not the big deal to me. Mm-hmm. The big deal is like, it's changed the way, it immediately has changed the way I feel and think. Like, I feel things. When you were talking about love, mm-hmm. what is love? I've, I've, I get feelings now that I've never had before. Right. And they're um, like how much I care about my son mm-hmm. or how much I worry about him. I'm a much more fearful person than I ever used to be. Yes. Like I heard about, um, I read about an accident recently in New York and car got hit and it was a family and the car got chopped in half and the one kid, his car seat rolled down a hill and stuff. And uh, before I would have read that and thought, oh, that's sad. And now I immediately think, is our car seat strong enough? Like I worry, like I feel physically sick 
I feel like a like in my body, I feel like my stomach like tightens up and I feel this dread and worry about my son. I'm yeah. just worried about him. Like the gorilla video, yeah. the, the gorilla attacking the kid. I can't watch that fucking video. But you're like, yeah, of course shoot the gorilla, right? Well, yeah, but that's not even the issue. The issue was like, before I would have watched the video, I was like, oh, let's see. Now I can't, I can't watch movies where kids are crying or upset. Right. It's, it's like, it's really personally um, upsetting. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, because you're, you're responsible for this life. And humans, unlike other animals, they're born and they're totally reliant on being helped. Other animals are born and they could hop around and find mm-hmm. some food. Humans, they would just lie there and die in their own. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's not even a feeling of responsibility or fear about how responsible I am. I, I just care about him a lot. Yeah. So that's been the biggest change. Because when you went out before, when I was saying, like, I, like, I didn't really care about America's Got Talent, and you were like, come on, you care a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I care about things, but like, I, I'm. I'm the type of person that kind of don't care. I'm pretty blasé about people are always like, oh, are you excited about? And I go, eh. <laughs> I never, or I get excited about things, but weird, you know, weird things. Nothing more. Is your son walking yet or is it too young for that? No. He's Crawling? Not. No. Okay. No. So these things about your son would probably be more exciting than America's, America's Got Talent. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how is that possible but it's yeah. a, that's a terribly popular tv show you realize it's network tv right <laughs> the adulation of strangers is something we just really overvalue i mean that's one reason i can do stand-up is because i don't i mean i care what people think if i know them but strangers like a stranger thinks something yeah you go okay well because people think crazy things. Have you always been How do you like know this? whether or not their opinion is valid? I've always been like that. You've always, yeah. But I think it's especially because it was really unpopular. And I got made fun of a lot. Because of your name? No, because I was a weird kid. Mm-hmm. And I was, a, I, was, I was just a really unusual kid. And I got made fun of a lot. And I, I just very just, passively, passive-aggressively made fun of your name. Just <laughs> I blew right past it. Good, good. I listen to about half the things you say. <laughs> so I miss a lot. Uh, all I heard was I listen to everything you say, so that's great. <laughs> but I think getting made fun of a lot just taught me to like, well, you you can't listen to everything that people say, you yeah. know. Or a lot of the people that were making fun of me, I was like, I don't like you either. <laughs> Wait, but I just but I just keep it to myself, you know. So I think at a young age, I learned. Look, people say what, stuff, but it. What gave you that? Because most kids don't feel that way. Was it something from your parents or just your natural? Are you an only child? Uh, no, I have a brother and sister. Okay. I mean, mo- most children, even if they hear that advice, like, oh, it doesn't matter what they say, or they're just saying it because they're jealous or insecure. Most kids will ignore that information and still feel terrible. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I felt terrible. It's yeah. not fun. Even if, if somebody makes fun of you, it doesn't matter whether or not you respect their opinion. It's still unpleasant. But I, yeah, I just, all right. you, you still had something going on that you, you realize that this should not affect me. One way or the other, I'll get past this. Well, it shows a very well-rounded uh, ego and self-esteem. Yeah, I think I had a lot of perspective. I mean, I don't want to get too heavy, but my, I did have. I had an older sister, and she died of leukemia. Oh wow! Sorry to hear that. And then I think after that, like kids making fun of me, I was just like, "Who gives a shit?" You know, I had a larger perspective. Like somebody, some stranger not liking me. I was like, right. Who gives a shit? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, you don't like me. How old I'm were crushed. you when she passed? I was 10. 
Okay. Yeah. So I think maybe that helped give me perspective on the relative a, importance of things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How much older was she? She was two years older. Okay. And she got, she got leukemia twice and she had it once when she was a kid and then once when she was older. Wow. And so I think that gave me some perspective on, I can't imagine your parents, you know, like how they must've felt at the time. Now that you're a parent, could you imagine? Oh yeah. When I was a kid, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. But now that I'm a parent, yeah, I, I can understand how big a deal it was for them. Mm -hmm. They say when uh, people have kids that they often relive their own childhood vicariously oh, through I their hope, kids. I hope not. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're only, not true. You're only five months in, so you yeah. don't remember five months. But when he becomes three years old, four or five, and in first grade, you'll be like, oh, I remember first grade and how cruel they were. And then you'll experience your life over again. Uh, let's hope not. Have you heard that before? No. So yeah, hopefully your child is more popular than you were. Well, it'd be hard for him to be less popular. <laughs> well, you named him Kirby, so you're off to a good start. Oh, there he goes again with the names. <laughs> <laughs> that is like the least absurd name I've heard. People these they days, getting... the, oh, the the names they give their kids, maybe it's just in cities, in New York or Philly, but it's, it's insane. So, I mean, Kirby is a cool name. It sounds like a kid who can take care of himself. It is a cool name. They're going to be like, yo, Kirby, what's up? It's not, yeah, people name their kids Apple and yeah. Brooklyn and so, so many yeah. hunters. And Hopefully uh, Kirby is kicking some Brooklyn and Apple ass as he gets older. I think New York is a great city to grow up in. A lot of people have asked us, oh, now you have a kid, are you going to move? Mm -hmm. And I, I say, why? New York City is one of the greatest cities to grow up in. The schools here are incredible. Are they? The public schools? Yeah, the public schools are banging. Really? They're really good. Okay. Um People are intelligent. Like, just in general, people here just, I mean, no offense to the rest of the country, and this isn't true for everywhere, but, like, in general, if you're living in New York, it's like, you're pretty educated, you're pretty open-minded, you're pretty experienced. Like, there's just so many Yeah, and attracts uh, intelligent culture teachers as well. I mean, anytime oh, yeah. I run into a teacher, they seem like they're a pretty cool person. Yeah, when I meet people that grew up here, even if they're in their really early 20s or something, they uh, seem more mature than other people in their early 20s. Mm -hmm. You get to see, you get exposed to a lot here. Yeah, you see, it's just, yeah, you and you're, I like that you walk around, you're like, you're living with other people, you're seeing people. Like, I hate in the suburbs, how a lot of times these days, new suburban developments, there aren't even sidewalks. Yeah. And everybody's so isolated. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that in New York. You have to see other people. Yeah, you're constantly around people. You grew up in the city of Philly, or you're, you're outside? No, I, of it, right? I grew up in the countryside, actually. I grew up at the base of the Blue Mountain in the middle of Okay, nowhere. right. You said that earlier, yeah. outside of Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, uh, a lot of people grow up where they have to get in a car and drive somewhere. And Everything was 45 minutes away from us mm -hmm. in the car. Like the closest anything was about. 45 minutes. So you want a different upbringing for your child? I don't think that, honestly, I don't think growing up in the country would be bad. The where you are isn't as important as who you're around. Mm -hmm. The people you're around is way more important than where you are, where you are. Now you said before that having a kid has made you feel more fearful. <clears throat> yeah. Do you feel like it's made you more conservative in general? You mean politically or philosophically? Both. And also when you're out, you're kind of like more isolated. It's just you and your nuclear family 
and everyone else is separate. You're just like, uh, no, I disagree with that. You do, okay. Hasn't made me more conservative. It's just made me more afraid. I'm just afraid. I'm just like, geez, I hope he's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it hasn't made me more conservative. And has it made you feel less connected to everyone? Like it's us versus them. No, the opposite. It's made me feel more connected to the world. Mm-hmm. Like when I walk around by myself, I mean, everybody does this. You're just in your own world. I know a lot of people, they put earbuds in, they're not even listening to anything, but they just are like, don't fucking bother me. Right. But when you walk around with a baby, everyone smiles at you. It's crazy. It's like you're a person for the first time. Uh-huh. When I walk with him, everybody, every single person I pass, almost, smiles at us. Uh-huh. And they're so happy. You should just flip them the bird next time. <laughs> Every time someone smiles, they just... It's crazy. I've never seen people... I've never seen so many teeth. I've never seen yeah. so many happy people. You know? <laughs> You're making people happy. They f- they love it. And yeah. then and then he's so happy, yeah. usually. And he's just seeing everything for the first time. And so you go do a lot of things that you would think are boring. Right. But you know that he's enjoying himself, so you go so he can enjoy himself, and you're enjoying it more because he's enjoying it for the first time. You're experiencing greater you're experiencing a greater level of happiness in general. Yeah, yeah, and you feel more connected and open to the world because he's never seen any of this stuff and so you are looking at it again for the first time. You know? Like if he was here I'd be like, Oh, that's a bookshelf and I'd show him I'd be like, This is a guitar. Right. You know. Yeah. That's neat. So it makes you feel more connected, or it makes me feel more connected. It doesn't make you feel like everyone around is a possible enemy? No, who, who, why, what? (laughs) I don't live in a video game. (laughs) No, it makes you, it makes you think people are nice because they, they see him and everybody smiles. Interesting. You gotta be a cold motherfucker to not smile at my baby. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear that it's making you, giving you more happiness. Yeah. What's next for you? These books came out. Uh, you, oh, your album recently dropped. Yes. You have an album on iTunes. Yeah, Delicate Man. Mm-hmm. It just dropped uh, like a month or two ago. Uh, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. So you have you have to retire all that material. I can't. I don't have enough new stuff. Uh-huh, okay, so you're still doing some of that. I got it. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I'm not Louie. I don't write a new hour every year. Um. But this album that's out on iTunes right now, it's the culmination of how many years of stand-up? I think uh, about eight years. Okay. And, um, but it's really like, mostly like one or two years of material. You know what I mean? Like, because most of the other stuff I, I stopped telling. So most of the jokes on the album are pretty new. Because of that Kruger curve. Uh, yeah, just because my voice has changed recently. I used to do more absurd stuff, and then now... Puberty hit late, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now I do more grounded in reality stuff and conversational. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, next... Um, no pyrotechnics on the album. No. <laughs> uh, I have another. I have another middle grade book that I think is coming out. I think it's coming out in a soon mm-hmm. called kid artists um that i illustrated i have uh the diehard coloring book that i wrote and illustrated that's coming out does it have to do with diehard the movie yeah it's diehard the movie as a coloring book but as a coloring book nice so did you have to get permission from them did you have to license it basically yeah well so yeah harper collins is doing it nice. and they they just they asked me if i had coloring book ideas and i said diehard and they go okay 
cool. <laughs> so we're doing that. And then I got a couple other books in the works. But these aren't really children's books. Uh, well, Kid Artists is well, Kid Artists is a middle grade book. So middle grade is like I think eight to twelve or ten to fourteen. I forget. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and Die Hard's not a kids book. No. Although you, it's a, it's not inappropriate. They made me take out a lot of the gore. I had a couple headshots in there, and they said you got to take those out. Mm-hmm. But th- there has been a, a movement recently of coloring books for adults, right? Yeah, that's why they asked. Okay. Yeah, it's like a new thing. Really, adults yeah. are wanting to color. It's like yeah, it's big. It is. It is. Is it a reaction to all the technology and smartphones and stuff? I don't know what it is. I mean, I think in general there, there has been a reaction. Like more people, I'd say probably more, more women than men, have been doing more classic homemaking, crafting, crafting. things over the last yeah. five years or so. Yeah, Because mm-hmm. we need less screen time. We don't yeah. need more. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Well, I'm glad to hear that trend. Um, yeah. Well, your baby's making you happy. You're making the world happy. Mm-hmm. You've made the world happy. And I think you'll continue to make the world happy. Great closer. Thank you. Thanks for coming and talking to us. It's very cool. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 